Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Now, I am battling with this question, and granted, I'm not the first one. What is our true nature? Is it suffering? Is a product of human consciousness a feeling of separateness and a yearning to rediscover that oneness, that connection we have in the womb? Do we suffer from our species' unique and cruel awareness of our own mortality? Or is our fundamental nature joy? And we simply pile on suffering and pain through endless self-centric thought and trauma. My guest today, Danielle Laporte, is a metaphysical sleuth of sorts, engaging in inquiry with all manner of poets, mystics, and sages about our fundamental nature. And through this curiosity, this inquiry, she synthesizes truth. She is a poet herself, and I'm mesmerized by her big, low, round voice. Many of you know her from the Desire Map, a program we did together last spring on identifying your core desired feelings. We have another slice of brilliance from her now called Free and Clear. You can learn more at onecommune.com. I have deep affection for this beautiful human. Today on the show, we get the wisdom of Danielle Laporte. I am Jeff Krasnow, and welcome to Commune. My name is Danielle. My last name is Laporte. I identify as like a planetary citizen, but I live in Canada. And what I do is I suffer and then I get insight out of that and I package it and I get it to the right people. I get the I get it to the people who want to hear it. And uh, and then I also live like a lot of sweetness, a lot of joy, and I try and get the wisdom out of that and package that. I exist, I show up to alleviate suffering and amplify joy. And it took me, it's taken me all this time to figure that out. Really, I'm most interested in the truth. But I don't want to, I, I, that used to be like my flag. I'm most interested in the truth, but the truth is like so painful sometimes. I want to, I just wanted to be softer and more specific. Alleviate suffering, check. When you do that, you amplify joy. Or you just amplify your joy, you alleviate your suffering. But You talk about joy a lot. Mm -hmm. um, it's and a survival you, mechanism. And you talk about it uh, in a particular way that I that has been um, uh, insightful, at least, and and attractive to me, which is the difference between happiness and joy. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that a little yep. bit? I took this on as a research project for about ten years. Every conversation that I could have with someone who I thought was like spiritually sophisticated or refined or had some kind of constitution, rabbis, monks, 
a llama named Mark from Toronto, anybody, I was asking them what our true nature was. And I wanted, I, my opinion was that our true nature is joy. Hmm. I wanted the answer. I mean, I was fishing for a particular answer, but I wanted to hear that, well, that was true. And I think it is true, but I there's a refinement there for me. I think when when I'm still, when I'm trusting, when I'm present, my experience of that is joy. Presence equals joy. So then I think our true nature is joy. So then that's the baseline. Joy is ground zero. Everything else we just put on top of that. Everything we put on top of joy is where the suffering comes from. It's like so, so many mystics talk about, you know, Course in Miracles speaks of this. Rumi, Hafiz speaks of, it's not about generating more love. It's not about seeking love. It's just removing the obstacles between you and love. Removing the obstacles between you and truth. And when you do that, my experience is joy. So that's foundational. That means everything you put on top of that, grief, sorrow, frustration, I think you can still access joy at the same time. Simple experience, middle of a divorce. I walk my dog every night, cry in the alley, walk my dog around the neighborhood, smoke. I have one Marlboro, had a pack. I always have a pack of Marlboros in the freezer wrapped in <laughs> tin foil in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> These are these this are really accessible in, during divorce, though. Right, Armageddon <laughs> and, and divorce. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> and you know, I like just the devastation of that breakage, and I just at the same time experienced like incredible joy. Just like my dog was happy and cherry blossoms in Vancouver, and I was like alive. And this is this this experience that keeps orbiting for me is like. When I'm most broken, it's like there that I see, experience, feel joy. I mm -hmm. get to the, my, like the brokenness brings me to my foundation, to the pith mm -hmm. of my truth. Enter happiness. Happiness, you know, so my metaphor is that joy is the atmosphere. Joy is the, um, you know, the physical, the, the climate and happiness, just the clouds passing through. And I think it's great to make this distinction because <clears throat> it's been proven that you can't have a positive thought and a negative thought at the same time. Your mind cannot hold happiness and sorrow or rage and peace. Hmm. But I want to push that a little further. I think your mind can hold all sorts of conflicting things on top of this foundation of joy. I can feel rage and still be aware that joy is waiting for me. I can flip it. I can, I can, I feel this bothness. Mm. Um, but the reason why it's helpful to know the difference is so that we don't get addicted to the happinesses. Right. Of course, may your life be, you know, full of ease for your suffering and full of happiness to put that in Buddhist terms. But, um, joy is so calm. Yeah. Happiness is carbonated. Yeah, so would you say that happiness is a fulfillment of 
it's a sort of a fulfillment of the ego or a fulfillment of daily desires. Yep. Whether that's commercial or Instagram likes or whatever. <laughs> that there's nothing innately wrong with happiness, but it is, as you say, non-foundational. Mm-hmm. It's fleeting. Mm-hmm. And then if that's true then what is the process that you need to undergo to establish that foundation of joy? To access a joy. You need to deal with your suffering Hmm. head on. And if you don't deal with it head on, life is going to orchestrate it so that you're going to have to stop. It's going to seize you. And this is why I... I'm really, I have more fluidity around your original question, like, is suffering necessary? Because I think if we have the desire, we can get ahead of the suffering. We can lessen our suffering to a huge degree. I think part of that is being in this together. I really feel with what I've been through, if I can share my story, I might be able to lessen you're suffering. I could flatten your learning curve. Mm-hmm. If you're open, if I get you at just the right time, right tone, an idea, and it helps you. It's a little bit of medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're not all, you know, islands unto ourselves. And that's why sharing, I think sharing our stories of our pain and our healing is really, oh, that's the medicine right now. Yeah. Especially with, you know, I think we're we're both on board with feeling like loneliness is an epidemic for sure yeah so the establishment of that foundational joy comes from a commitment to connection and an awareness of connection an Mm -hmm. awareness of oneness Mm -hmm. is it also a product of sort of meditative self-reflection mm-hmm I think being reflective helps you get clear on suffering. I mean, so many of us, we're swimming in it. We haven't even named it. You get to name the suffering. You unpack it. You find its origins. You work on on healing it. And all the meditative, contemplative stuff helps you stay clear knowing that you have the self-agency to choose joy. Hmm. So, like, I feel that on a fairly regular basis, I have to fight for my joy. And that almost seems, <laughs> it, it's not the same as, fi- you can't fight for peace, but it's a struggle for me, often. Sure. And I've just recently become aware that it's a struggle. And what I have to do is, I have to, with great intention, choose thoughts that are encouraging. I have to apply the medicine of gratitude. And some days, like, oh, such a stretch to do that. I mean, some, if, if I'm feeling darkness, anxiety, anything that's not life-affirming, there's some days, you know, in the morning, I have to walk around the house just s- declaring, speaking out loud positive things to myself. And it's everything from, um, you know, and these are all tied into my beliefs, but like, I am a beloved of God. I've he I've I am chosen to be here. I've chosen to be here. 
Countless people have been through dark things before. They have paved the way for me. Gratitude is my medicine. I'm grateful for great teeth and digestion. And I love the temple I live in called a house. And and I just go on and on. Sometimes seven minutes of that while I'm putting my avocado on a toast. And I have actively changed my psychology. That's fighting for joy. And that is... Oh, that's the beauty of free will. And I got the tools. I'm going to use them. I think we forget about the tools. You know, when, the, when you're in the pit, you forget you have a shovel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or just that that you have free will. That you yeah. have, um, that when you become sort of your own automaton, knocking things off your busyness, mm-hmm. um, and you begin to believe that you um, that this is happening to you, that you mm-hmm. are not an active participant in this, and that by extension that all of these things become obligations instead of conscious choices. Mm-hmm. You talk about reframing obligations. Mm-hmm. Obligations is one of my least favorite word. <laughs> I think it just reeks of victimness and it's as if something else outside of you is dictating what you have to do. And, you know, to test this theory, you should be asking your, you know, you come, everybody right now listening, just let's all think of our list of so-called obligations. Well, I'm obligated to pay my mortgage. Nope. You don't have to pay your mortgage. I'm obligated to feed my kids. No. You could be despondent and cruel and evil not feed your children i'm obligated to take care of my ailing parents etc etc all these are choices that you do out of love that you do out of just baseline integrity that you might be doing with great resentment but you're still choosing to do it and that reframe oh my gosh that puts you in the driver's seat that allows you to bring some lightness to even the heavy resented stuff it's a choice. Everything's a choice. One of the other things that I think has become more and more important to you, or at least I hear you talk about more and more, is this connection between self-love and joy, deep contentedness, um, finding your true nature, your original mm-hmm. nature, your infinite soul, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The... Um, the connection between those things and actually the giving up of things mm-hmm. instead of the accumulation of things. Mm-hmm. How are those connected? The more I love myself, the less I need. And it works on, it works on in the inner worlds and it works in the outer worlds. So if I'm respecting myself and taking care of myself, I don't need you to compliment me 24-7. I can just look in the mirror and say, you got this. You're lovely. Just show up. Um, the more I do that, the calmer my nervous system is, the less stimulant stuff that I need, the more accepted and beautiful I feel. I don't need the extra purse. Um, uh, the more I can take care of my nervous system and make choices that are about well, just about pleasure and spaciousness. 
then the more mental clarity I'm going to have, which means I'll make better choices. I'm going to take less shit from people. I'm going to work for people I want to work, I actually want to work with. Um, yeah, I really become the master of my domain. And when I'm doing that, I'm aware of my power to create things. I don't need things to bolster me. I don't, I am, you know, love becomes my own status symbol. So you can run that theory down. And I come to the conclusion that self-love is a great thing for the climate crisis. You just buy less crap to impress people that don't really know or love you to begin with, that you're seeking love from. Just simplify. It's, it's all you. I think you start with self-love. My experience has been the more I work on loving, respecting, and taking care of myself. Actually, that's an easier phrase to grasp. Just take care of yourself in a compassionate way. The more I feel connected to the planet. Like I, my language used to be, and I've always considered myself an environmentalist and aware of what's going on, but I always felt that still that I was living on the planet. Hmm. Now I feel that, now I'm aware, now I know that I am living because of the planet hmm. and that her oxygen has built my lungs, that it's just, my bones are made of dirt. It just, oh, I don't have a body. My, I just feel this great sense of oneness. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is part of my own neuroses and my own anxiety with the current situation. But I mean, I, I feel every time I throw something out, I, I, I am apologetic. Yeah. I need to actually work on that or I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. But I just say, I'm just constantly saying sorry. But I've, part of my practice is I, I think I'm down to about 20% sorries and about 80% gratitude. That actually feels pretty healthy for me. That's a respectful relationship, actually. <laughs> is, isn't it? I could work for romance. More. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 20% that makes all the difference. So you're here. We're sitting in Topanga. It's beautiful. Yeah. We spent another amazing week together. And um, and we filmed another course. We did. Called Free and Clear. Why did you make this course and what is it? Uh, I, made it I made it because I wanted to look at what was working and what wasn't working before I made any more decisions. Mm. And... I could feel myself on my own hamster wheel, my own samsara of just like, I'm jumping to the next thing. Wait, 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 wait. And I also knew the practice of a business postmortem and let's have a debrief and just look at, you know, where we sunk it. And um, yeah. And when I did it for myself, it started with, I was in a business meeting that hadn't gone well. <laughs> And I was really banking on it going well. Like I had the next 18 months planned. And I had a girlfriend with me who was acting as an advisor. And we're in the pub afterwards. And I'm just like, what am I going to do now? And it was just her response to get me out of my funk of despair. And she just pushed pencil and paper to me and just said, 
you got five minutes. Think about the highlights of the last 12 months. I was like, oh, okay, just five, just five. Brought me right up. And I could see immediately I saw the pattern. And it became so obvious about what I didn't want to do for the coming year and what I wanted to do more of. And it was really clear to me <laughs> that relationships were the highlight of my life. Mm -hmm. Every moment. So just, you know, I wasn't looking at my calendar. Everything I remember just from stream of consciousness, just heart, just in that compressed time, had to do with relationship moments. Mm -hmm. It was sitting in the car with my girlfriend for two hours after the movie in front of my house talking about that thing we talked about that changed the way I did the next thing. Mm -hmm. And it was the business deal I did, but it had nothing to do with the money or the clicks. It was just like, it was just like sweet creativity. Yeah. Yeah. So when you actually engage in that conscious process, yeah. what is actually feeding your soul becomes, rises to the surface Yeah. in a way that you would never, that you would not be able to ascertain if you were just kind of like paging through your calendar. Exactly. Exactly. And most conventional year in review processes, <laughs> you just go month to month. Yeah. You don't ask yourself how you felt about what happened, um, what the heart learnings were. I don't think you don't really get the deep wisdom. And there also isn't any ritual or ceremony, any threshold crossing built into year and review processes where you let something go with ritual, where you, you're really going to cross, you're going to like jump the broom from, from old to new. Mm -hmm. And I've built that into free and clear. Mm. Yeah. And for you personally, are relationships the thing that fills you up, that is that foundational yeah. joy? Yeah, I'm a lover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I... I don't... I'm not, And I'm not declaring this as a universal thing. But I could, if I had to, I would. I would just say, listen, it's all about love and it's about relationships at the end of the day. Um, how you make your money is about relationships. Your wellness has so much to do with what you are extracting and giving to your community. I think we go from tolerance to acceptance to celebration. Hmm. I think I've done enough growing now that I'm, Mostly I hover around the acceptance level of people. Like, even if I don't agree with you, um, maybe, and maybe this is righteousness, but if I don't agree with you, I can at least think, ah, oh, you got some, you got some pain going on or some, you're myopic for these reasons. And, and I can have compassion for that. So I can, I can accept, I can hang out with you. Uh, and then in some, in some sweet moments, I can get to celebration way more often. Mm -hmm. than I used to. And that is the result of back to the top question of examining my suffering and then making very conscious, sometimes grasping choices to do what brings me joy, what makes me feel joy and, and doing work that I know helps create joy for other people. I'm I'm rereading now Man's Search for Meaning. This is a Viktor Frankl book. I joked about it last night, but it's actually true. And, you know, he writes in the book um, that 
essentially man can find meaning in three th- in three ways in work in love and in suffering mm-hmm. and very obviously you you find it in your work you love your work i mean yeah. it's a tr- expression of great joy and tremendous meaning there's no doubt about it um and and for those of us who are lucky enough to to love what we do every day we can f- easily find that meaning and it is often also easy to find meaning in love mm-hmm. um because it also feels so good mm-hmm. it's harder to find meaning in pain in suffering part of it is just how many times you've run the race how many times you've fallen and gotten back up so i have enough data for my own life that not only do i get back up but i am improved when i get back up every i'd have to really test this but i think i can say with 100 percent veracity that every setback every heartbreak every disappointment everything i was going after that i did not get not only did it not kill me and make me stronger, it actually brought me to a higher place hmm. where I was able to experience more joy. And, and <laughs> if that weren't bonus enough, it's deepened my trust in just universal consciousness love that God has me. And I'm able to, you know, the more I know, <laughs> the more room I have for mystery. Mm-hmm. You realize you just know so, not that I know little, but I know very few things deeply. And yeah, I not only do I survive, I just, I just, oh, I become all, I become more of what I want to become, the qualities of the heart. I become more compassionate. I become more generous. I become more inclusive. I become more joyful. I become more radiant. All as a result of suffering, but that's not the only way to become those things. I think Frankel's right. Mm -hmm. I can become those things through meaningful work and I can become those things through love and how merciful, I mean that, that, that ratio is merciful. Work can be joyful. (laughs) Love can be joyful. So, so easy, really easy to make those things joyful. Suffering harder, but it's two out of three. (laughs) (laughs) go to the bank with two out of three yes and this brings us to the topic of spiritual bypassing and gratitude right because the anthem is that you know it's all about finding the gift in the pain i believe 100 percent of the time you can find the gift in the pain i think the downside of that theory is that when it's unexamined we move into spiritual bypassing we go into default mode we resist unpacking processing the pain by just saying there's a gift in it it's karma everybody's got their stuff family of origin all good Mm -hmm. it's all good all those things are true karma is at play it is all good at the end of the day but just don't jump cut to that you got to walk yourself through it and the way i've walked myself through my suffering is that i used to think when i when when i when i did the the new age positivity paint over that um, I had to be grateful for the perpetrator. I had to be grateful for the illness. I had to be grateful 
specifically for the betrayal? Actually, I don't. That's not my learning. What I need to be grateful for, what I am honor-bound as a self-agent of my life to be grateful for, is what I learned from that experience, for the good things that were born of that experience. Because, again, you know, for something to be true, you have to be able to test it across the board. So, you know, this this came up for me in a speaking gig once. You know, I'm in an auditorium of like 3,000 people in Australia. And somebody, you know, I was bringing up this theory and somebody said, what are you going to tell the woman who's been raped mm -hmm. to find the gift in that pain? Yeah. No, no. But can you move into the strength that you have fostered as a result of that horrific experience? And can you just focus on being grateful for that? Can you celebrate the better things you became because of that awful thing. And you can continue to see that awful thing as awful. That suffering is suffering. That injustice is injustice. But you're going to celebrate your own evolution. And that's what I call empowered gratitude. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, that you do not have control necessarily about the way the world treats you but you do have the agency around how you react to that treatment yes and part of self-agency is realizing we have substantial control over what we attract right and that's like another discernment line i like to draw which is you know too much new age speak will tell us we're creating our reality all of it all the time there's no room in that for mystery. If there's no room for mystery, there's no room to be held by life. There actually is no room for a bigger plan. And that's just division between me and creator, which is really just ego. So in terms of creating our reality, the wake-up call is to see that we will continue to move towards things that feel comforting and familiar, even if it's kind of sick and twisted. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if we grew up with abuse and neglect and a certain kind of messaging, that like gets baked into us. Yeah. So we can find that abuse and that neglect in another, another relationship or a work situation where it's just like, I know this is messed up, but this is strangely, it's kind of lulling me. This is, I, I know this. If I know this, I can feel in control. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's like anger has a resentment has its it's like can be this old couch. Yep. That stinks. <laughs> but you like love to lie on it. Yeah. You're like, fuck, throw away that couch. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Um, do you I heard Elizabeth Gilbert talk about this the other day. I'm not sure I followed it a hundred percent, but it was an interesting thought. The nature of our brain, you know, we have this sort of reptilian brain at the, this, the old brain, you know, which is this fight or flight brain, this reptilian brain, which is really geared on fear and, um, and, and self-preservation. And do you, 
and then, you know, we have this consciousness that then lays on top of that and says, no, no, no. We, we need to actually find love. Love is the opposite of fear. And, but then I was like, oh man, are we innately good or evil as human beings because we have this sort of ancient brain that works, that essentially just works off of fear, are we all innately evil or sinners or, you know, at the core? And then we have to do all of this foundational work to build love on top of that. Or are we actually innately good? Kaylin mm. mm. made this one. Mm. I think we're innately good. I think our job, I, I, I look at humans as we're each a spark of the fire of God. So why have we all crammed that spark into these suitcases called bodies? Like, why are we even doing this? Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think this is creativity. I think I, I got an idea. Okay, guys, I got an idea. Let's all, let's all, I'm going to fragment myself so that I can go out and proliferate light into the universe. And in order to become stronger and clearer and more loving and more powerful, let's play this game where we all forget that we're God. It's going to make us so effective and so strong. Let's Let's do this obstacle course to get back home and we're going to have some fun and we're going to build some momentum and we're going to, we're going to build skills of consciousness and love. So everybody agree when you, when you incarnate, act like you don't know that you're God <laughs> and it's all about remembering. And as I remember that I am creative and blessed and I have capacities to make things happen. And I remember that I'm one and how you love me and I love you changes us and we have an effect. And oh, then I'm adding to the great light. The, the original light is increasing through my, my awareness. And I look at things as like a universal consciousness. So my belief is that in doing that down here on this planet, this dimension called Earth, we are making a contribution to the greater whole called the universe. Something else is expanding because of our expansion. Yeah. Will you come on a third time if I ask you? Hat trick. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I love you. Thanks for the friendship. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it. To learn more about Free and Clear, Danielle's new course on Commune, please go to onecommune.com and feel free to email me anytime. I would love to hear your suggestions and questions. I'm Jeff K at onecommune.com. That's all for this week on The Commune. I'm Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next time.